Hi, I'm Betty Stern, and I'm reading Philippians 4.8. It's my Bible verse that meant a lot to me. Um, and it's, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Paul was in prison at this time when he wrote all these pretty words, um, and it was really a dark, dark place for him. And I loved his positivity when he was in such a, such a dank place as prison. We make our own self-imposed prisons, don't we? Um, we put up our walls. We have our chains and our shackles. Uh, his was physical. Ours are mental. And we live in a very dark and broken world. Do you know anyone who's struggling that could use a prayer that could use a, a helping hand that would lighten anyone's load. I know I do. And if we could be a light to others, um, I think that's what Christ had in mind and Paul had in mind when he, when he wrote this verse. Um, we may be the only Bible that some people ever see. Do lovely things, what is true, be true to yourself and to others. Try to illustrate a living example, and otherwise they're just words. But if you could give them arms and legs and energy so that people can see this, then that in itself is like a walking, talking Bible that maybe some people wouldn't open. But they see you. And wow, if we could just do this, um, I think our lives could be sweeter than honey, all of our lives. And be a light, be a light for everyone as he would have wanted you to be. Thank you. For the last uh, few weeks we've been in this series called Sweeter Than Honey. Uh, we took... Uh, a list of favorite passages and scriptures that you guys gave to us back a couple months ago. I say we took them. I wasn't even here yet, but the church took them, and Brad, we sat down and went through the series, and Brad picked out the ones that he wanted and gave me the leftovers, which I joke about, but was actually kind of, kind of fun the way it worked out, because the two I got out of the series are two passages that I really, really like. A couple weeks ago, uh, I got up here and we preached on worry and anxiety. And the passage was out of Matthew chapter 6 from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, don't worry. And it was actually kind of funny because that was two different submissions. Somebody gave us Matthew 6.25, somebody gave us 6.34, so we just did the whole series, or the whole, the whole passage and put that together. But we talked a lot about Philippians chapter 4 on that same day because Philippians 4, 4 through 7, where Paul says, don't be anxious about anything ties so closely to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. So today it's kind of exciting because that was Betty Stern that, that gave us the, 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 the reading, and her verse follows exactly what we talked about two weeks ago. As you're reading through, it just is the next thing that you read there. And I love it because of just 
the way it's written. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. I just call this the whatever passage. And it's funny because I'm a kid of the 90s. And whatever was like our word that we said in the 90s all the time, that was the excuse or comeback for anything. Like it had so many different meanings. Like if you didn't want to do something, Kurt, you want to go do this? No, whatever. Hey, Kurt, how you feeling? No, whatever. Like, hey, what do you think about this? No, whatever. So when we sat down, Brad said, I want, to, I want to title these sermons something out of the verse. What are you thinking you want to call this? I said, whatever. <laughs> and he didn't know how to respond to that because, you know, I, I don't know. But we, we look at this verse, and what I love, again, about it is it just, it's one of those verses that you can just kind of march right through. So if you've got, got a Bible, you can kind of walk through this with me. I don't have this on the screen, but you can just follow along. Because what Paul is telling us is that as we live in a world and a society that is ever more progressive and combative towards the faith, like where it's ever more difficult to walk with Jesus and be a Christian, here's what he tells us to do. Think about these things. And here's what he says. Focus on what's true. He tells us, focus on what's true. Now, we think about truth because here's the thing about truth. Truth is now relative. Like, there's no black and white truth in society anymore. Once upon a time, there was. There was a moral compass. There was a moral center of right and wrong. But now there's not. Truth is kind of defined culturally as what works for me right now. Well, here's the problem with that. What works for me right now is not the same that works for you right now. And that's right now. It may change tomorrow or next week or next month. We don't know. We can't control what's going on around us. So, therefore, we have to adapt and change. And what gets me is is as we look at this and we get further away from this idea of moral absolute truth, it's kind of like you're out in a boat and you throw an anchor over the side to hold you in place. But the problem is the anchor you throw in there either doesn't reach the bottom or it's too light and your boat still slowly drifts further and further away. Saw some statistics that kind of blew me away. Almost 60%, 59, 59%, so three out of five Americans today don't believe in any such thing as absolute truth. There's no absolute moral truth. 60%. And while that number is staggering to me, almost half, 47% of Christians in America today claim there's no absolute moral truth. Here's what concerns me, though. In that same survey, when the people were asked later, what's two plus two? They all answered four. Like there was no debate. So it's not an issue of is there absolute truth. The question is what are we allowing to be absolute truth? We can't allow our ever-shifting world to determine what's true and what's not. Because we, we aren't capable of that. We're not. What I think today might change tomorrow. But God, on the other hand, is constant. God is consistent. In fact, it says in in Hebrews chapter 13 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's what I think about that verse. When I read that and I see those words that he is the same and that he is consistent and that there is no change in him, then I see other verses that talk about the Bible and the Bible being his inspired word, his very breathed word. And that the Bible is useful for wrapping my life around and building my life on. And I see that and say, well, if Jesus is the same yesterday and and today and forever, and the Bible is his word, then the Bible is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that should be my basis for truth. 
Because here's the thing about the Bible. It wasn't written just for us today. And it wasn't written just for the people 2,000 years ago or beyond that read it for the very first time. The Bible transcends time and culture. If it doesn't, it's not relevant, and we should just throw it out. It's just a book. But I believe it does. I stake my life on the fact that it does. And because it does, that is my source of truth. Paul says, fix your mind on whatever's true. This is true. Fix your mind on this. Second, he says, fix your mind on whatever is noble or honorable. Now, to be noble is to, the definition is, that which inspires reverence or awe, to be dignified or worthy of respect. So I say that, and I'll ask the question, who comes to your mind when I give that description? Somebody who's dignified or, or inspires reverence or awe or worthy of respect. Who is it? Is it a certain figure in, in the world? Is it a certain associate pastor at this church? I mean, who is it that inspires awe or reverence or respect for you? Thank you guys for laughing at that. The 8 o'clock looked straight at me like it was nothing. So thank you. That made me feel better about myself this morning. But seriously, when you think about somebody that you would call noble or honorable, that's worthy of respect, why is that? Well, probably because that person is serious about what they do. And I think about what it means to be noble or honorable as we walk with Christ. It means we take that walk seriously. It means that everything that we do is intentional. It doesn't mean that we have to be so serious we can't have fun and laugh and enjoy uh, life. And, and that's not what I mean. But I mean that we have to make it serious and intentional. We need to live beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves, living out in the kingdom of God. Third, he says that we should focus on what's right or just. That kind of ties back to the first one, on truth. What is right and just, that's how we determine what's good and bad, what's evil and, 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 and right, right? And so we look at this, and Romans chapter 3 tells us that God is fair and just and right. And because of that, he's a standard by which we can be measured against. And it tells us in Romans chapter 3 that we were broken sinners, but Jesus went to the cross for us. And his blood on the cross redeemed us and restored us and put us back in right standing with God. And when we look at that, we realize that we can now draw near to him. And the closer we draw near to God, the more we're able to see what is right and just and fair. Fourth, he tells us to focus on what's pure. Now, as followers of Jesus, this should be simple for us because to be pure means to be holy. And when we're followers of Jesus, we're called to be holy, meaning we're set apart. We're on a, hold ourselves to a standard that the world doesn't hold itself to. One of my professors at, at Bible college used to use the phrase holy other. He'd never just say holy. It was always holy other. In other words, you're different than the world by, because you follow Jesus. You're different. You need to, to, to function different and, and live different because we are representations of Jesus. We're representations of God, and we need the world to see that in us. And because of that, our minds should focus not on the impure but on the pure. In fact, it tells us this in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Again, he's not saying you've got to be so serious that you can't enjoy life and have fun. He's saying, no, stop and think. Stop and think. Is this the stuff you enjoy? Because this is what the world does. And there's no difference in you and the world if this is what you do too. 
Fifth, he tells us to focus on what's lovely. What's lovely. Now, think about this, and I automatically think of, okay, well, what's something beautiful to focus on? Or, or that's not quite what he is getting at here. The word literally translates to pleasing or agreeable or grateful. What's something in your mind that is agreeable or pleasing? That's what he wants us to focus on. I look at it like this. The more I focus on Jesus, who is perfect, God the Son, God in flesh, the more I focus on him, and that, that perfection is beautiful. The more I focus on that, the less I focus on what the world throws at me that is not perfect and therefore not beautiful. And and so focus on what is lovely. Uh, Six, he says to think about things that are admirable or commendable, kind of like noble. Okay, I like those words, admirable and commendable, but basically something or someone that deservedly has a good reputation. That's what admirable means. Now I want you to think about this one for just a second here. What is something or who is someone for you that you admire? That you say, they've got a great reputation, they've earned it. Now why? Why does that person, why does that thing have a great reputation for you? Now another question to go along with that. What do you need to do in your life so that somebody looks at you and thinks the same thing? Especially when it comes to your walk with Christ. They admire your walk with Christ. They've got a great walk. Man, they're a great example. What needs to change for you for that to happen? Or maybe what needs to get amplified for you? For that to happen. That's a good question to ponder and think about because Paul wraps this up by telling us, think about what is excellent and praiseworthy. I love those two words there at the end. To be excellent, uh, basically the self-explanatory. What is good? What is great? And more specifically with excellence, we think about how are you reflecting God's glory in your world around you? Like, how are you reflecting what God has done for you to others? And then to be praiseworthy means to deflect. Anything that might come your way, you deflect it to God. I'm not getting praise. I'm not getting glory. Somebody will come to me and, and, and tell me, oh, I, I love the way you preach. I say, I'm just, I'm just trying to speak what God wants me to say. Like, I'm not trying to get up here and look good or sound good. I'm trying to speak the words of truth. Deflect it to God. Let God have the glory in what you do. This verse, when we read it, is basically like a filter. And what it's telling us is that we need to run our lives through the filter of Scripture. Some of you make coffee in the morning. You put it through a filter. And the grounds stay there, but the coffee comes out in the bottom. Changed. The water gets changed by what it runs through. And we should be the same way. Our lives should run through the filter of Scripture so that when we come out on the other side, we are changed and made whole. Now you read this and and you hear this verse, and this is one of those verses that when I read it, it kind of makes me feel good. There are some verses like that that make you feel good. And and you hear all this about, well, think about all these things, and you're like, well, that's great, Kurt. Now what? (laughs) What do we do with it? Like, that's great. I want to think about all those things, but there's so much else going on, so what do I do? I don't pretend to have all the answers. But here's my thought on this. How can we make sure our minds are running through the filter of Scripture and nothing else? Here's a couple of ideas. Here's number one. Clean out and block the sinful influences in your life. Let's start there. Now, maybe that's the overly spiritual answer, and you're like, well, of course, you're a pastor, and we're at church, and you have to say that. But sometimes it really is that simple. Clean out and block the sinful influences in your life. This passage is all about perspective. 
we read verse 8, and it's all about the perspective of where our mind goes and why it goes there. And like I told you the other day, a couple weeks ago, sometimes, side note, are you one that says the other day, and you could mean anywhere from yesterday to five years ago? Because that's me. So just, just so you know, if I say the other day, ask a follow-up question, because I don't know what I'm talking about with that. But in verse 8, he says what we're supposed to think about. Now, I told you last time, sometimes we go backwards and read Scripture again to make what we're reading stand out a little bit more. So we read this verse 8 about fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure. But if you go back a few verses to what we talked about last time, reread what Paul says in verse 4. He says in Philippians 4, verse 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, think about things that are good and true. And on and on. And I love this because as we, we read this verse, especially how it ends there, he tells us that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is, is as he's writing this, he is in prison. He has a guard in front of him. And the guard does two things. He keeps the prisoners in, but he also keeps the world from getting into the prisoners and harming them or hurting them. And this peace that guards our hearts and minds kind of works the same way. We need that to wrap around our hearts and our minds and our souls to protect us from what's on the outside, but also to keep the good stuff in, to, to, to take care of the good stuff, to protect it and keep it from being harmed by the world. Because we can so easily fall into this trap of letting the outside world influence even our, our, our walk with Christ. Dallas Willard, famous pastor and theologian back in the 20th century, he warned people through these verses by saying, you need to pay attention to what you're putting into your life. In other words, what is it that you watch or listen to or read or surround yourself with that could have an impact on your walk with Christ? Maybe you've heard the phrase, garbage in, garbage out. If you're trying to get in shape and lose weight, fried food and, and a lot of fatty foods and, and, and all that type of stuff probably aren't going to help. You're not going to get the result that you want. But if you're trying to get in shape, maybe you eat a certain way and it produces the results. It's the same thing with our spiritual life. If all you're surrounded by, again, are you saying, you know, can I not watch these movies or listen to this music? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if it's going to affect your life and it's going to be more of an influence on you than the word of God, then maybe you shouldn't. But if all you're putting in is junk, that's what you're going to get. I'll say it this way. I think we need to think about what we think about. Because I'm convinced of this, where my heart and my mind and my soul go, my hands and my feet and my mouth aren't far behind. What I ultimately let build up in my mind and my heart is going to come out in my actions. And my actions are going to show people if I'm living for Christ or for myself. So think about what you think about. And maybe you can just ask yourself this question, what occupies my mind? Maybe that's something that you need to chew on and ponder on this week. What occupies your mind? What are you allowing to be the biggest influence in your life? Is it the Bible? Or let's get real for a second. Is it Fox News or CNN? Is it ESPN? 
I mean, I don't pay attention to the news, but I keep up with sports all the time. So am I allowing that to influence my mind? Is it music? Is it culture? It could be anything. It could be anything. What are you allowing to influence your heart and your mind? What fills your thoughts? Because, folks, we need to be wise about what we dwell on. Again, said this a few minutes ago. Sometimes you go back in Scripture a little further to have what you're reading make a little more sense. Go back into Philippians 3. And Paul's talking about the kingdom and living in the kingdom versus living in the world. And he says in verse 17, you should follow me and imitate me because I'm trying to follow and imitate Jesus. And he says in verse 18 that there are those among you who have made themselves enemies of the cross. Now think about this particular verse for a minute because we can disagree on a lot of things. We could even say we're enemies about certain things. Politics or uh, what is the, your favorite season of the year? Are you summer or fall or, or winter? Or, you know, do you like barbecue or do you not love Jesus? I mean, you know, it's, it's how, are you, how are you going? I mean, I'm, I'm wearing this shirt, and I, I won't say which music pastor accused me of blasphemy earlier, but <laughs> one of them did. We can disagree on sports teams and all this, and again, we can say we're enemies. And I'll just be honest, I can handle that. I can handle someone not getting along with me. I can handle someone disagreeing with me. The one thing I can't at all handle is the idea of being called an enemy of the cross. Because there's no coming back from that. Like, like imagine, you're not called a, a, a son or a daughter of God anymore or a friend of God. You're called an enemy of the cross. You put yourself in direct opposition to that. I can't handle that that thought even, much less that reality. And Paul says there in verse 18, those people are headed for destruction. But verse 20, he says, you, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I see that. And when I see that I am a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven, what that tells me is I stop letting everything else influence me and I follow the word of God only. There's a, a movement going on right now that, that is concerning. And it should be concerning for Christians. And it's primarily affecting young Christians, those in their early 20s, sometimes teenagers too. Maybe you've heard about it. It's called deconstructing your faith. And the idea of it sounds like a good idea. I'm going to take this faith that's been shaped by all these different influences, by the churches I grew up in and the people I was surrounded by and what influenced their lives to help influence my life and, and so on. I'm going to take that and I'm going to break that down and just purify my heart and follow the true Jesus. Now, it sounds like a great idea. The problem is it doesn't work out very well in practice. And the vast majority of, of young people that I've seen, it breaks my heart, as they deconstruct their faith, what they are really doing is they are allowing the, the culture and the society around them to take the parts of Christianity that are no longer acceptable to culture and society and throw them out. And whatever's allowed in society is now a part of their faith. And in some cases, they walk away from the faith altogether. Those that don't, it's often a very watered-down shell of faith. And it terrifies me. It, it, it concerns me. It saddens me. Because I see young men and women who, again, just a few years ago, I would have called a rock-solid follower walking away. 
and letting go of their faith. And, and they use these phrases like they want to be on the right side of history with whatever the cause may be. Folks, I, I don't know where you're at today on the different issues in society, and I'm not going to rabbit trail this into that. But I want to be careful and be clear. And I want to be, be sympathetic when I say this. We have to let the Bible guide us. We have to let it influence us. There are going to be times that is not popular. And I'll just say this, and again, I don't mean to sound insensitive, but I would much rather be on the right side of eternity than the right side of history. We have to make sure that we are cleaning out and blocking sinful influences. Second, we have to have the same mind as Jesus. We have to have the same mind as Jesus. I've already referenced this passage, but in Ephesians, there's a great, great basically bridge between two chapters, the middle of chapter 4 to the middle of chapter 5. Again, we read about what it means to be in the kingdom. Now, I told you this a couple weeks ago that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, tells us how to live in the kingdom. And you can read the Sermon on the Mount in like 10, 12 minutes. That was really a highlight of what was probably like a six to eight hour sermon from Jesus. And so I said this last time, I'll say it again because I want to get the point across. Brad and I can talk for a while, but we could totally go biblical on you and be here till midnight if you wanted to. So if it's 45 minutes, you're welcome, okay? We could go eight hours. <laughs> Ephesians 4 is kind of the same thing. Ephesians 4 through 17 through 520, it just breaks down the idea of what it means to live in the kingdom, to have a mindset focused on others, to build relationships in the kingdom, and how to live outside of yourself. And that, to me, is highlighted in Philippians 4.8. But here's the problem we can run into with Philippians 4.8, especially in view of the kingdom. Sometimes it's easy to view that verse, again, I said it's kind of a feel-good verse, as, hey, don't think about bad things, just think about good things. And we run into the idea of positive thinking. There was a book several years ago called The Power of Positive Thinking. Maybe some of you have read it. It was a very influential book written by Norman Vincent Peale. And his idea was, again, it was a good idea, but he kind of took it a little too far, I think. And, and he said basically that this idea is if you think positively, nothing bad will happen. I mean, we've, we've been there though, right? That's not always accurate. Like if you block out all negativity and you block out critical thinking and you're just positive, block out doubt, you're going to be fine. And he kind of ran it through the lens of scripture and he kind of made it like this was biblical that we should only think positively and, and nothing else. But folks, we, we know this. Our world is not a positive world. Our world is a very real world. And it's not to say that we can't think positively or optimistically. We should think optimistically and positively. Last Sunday, we had three people get baptized. You know, you guys got to watch a couple of them in this service. I got to baptize my daughter last week. Got to baptize uh, another lady. Phil got to baptize a student in the 1045 service. He's got another one that's going to get baptized in a few weeks. Man, I walked away from Sunday. And I sat with a group of, of staff and, and elders this week, and we just talked about what is happening here. God is moving. There's reason to be optimistic and positive because God is on the move here at Crossroads. Amen. I'm excited for the future here. I've only been here a couple months. I'm excited for the future. 
And we talked about how amazing would it be if we never put this lid back on this baptistry again. Because we needed it every week. Now the music team fought back on that. They don't want to fall in. I don't care. We'll put a rail up for him, okay? <laughs> I said, you know, I had a mic down there. You can have a mic down there. It's fine. It's okay to be positive and optimistic, but we also need to understand negativity is going to happen. Reality is going to happen. The Bible has moments that are negative. It has moments that are real. And what Paul has told us there in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 is those times are going to come, but here's what, to, what, what you do with it. So this verse in verse 8, it's not about the power of positive thinking. It's about the importance of godly thinking. And running our minds through that filter of Scripture. Because running that, that filter, letting Scripture permeate our lives, it is necessary to grow. If you've ever worked out, you know it's hard at the beginning especially. Your body's going to hurt, but it's going to come out good in the end. If you've gone through physical therapy, same thing. It's painful. It's not comfortable, but we need to do it to grow. We've got to do this with Scripture too. Romans chapter 12 tells us that we should give our bodies as a living sacrifice. And he tells us in verse 2 that we should not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's not just positive and, and, and sugar and roses, is it? No, he's saying, let the word of God break you down and build you back up. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, he says it here. Since you have heard about Jesus and learned about the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Here's the words again. Truly righteous and holy. Again, right and holy, set apart. That's what we're called to be like. And that's why we need to block out the sinful stuff. That's why we need to let the word of God come into our hearts and our minds so that our minds can become like Jesus. I like how Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Some friends of mine are professors at uh, Ozark Christian College. They made a podcast called Every Thought Captive, and they based it out of this verse saying, we want to talk about what we think about in a way that honors Jesus. That's their tagline. Talk about what we think about in a way that honors Jesus. And I'm like, man, that, that needs to be my life. I want to talk about what I think about. I want all my stuff to come out honoring Jesus. Again, if my heart and my mind and my soul are focused on him, my hands and my feet and my mouth are going to follow, and it needs to be about him, not about the world, not about me, not about selfish things and selfish desires. So yes, we block out the sinful influences. We have the mind of Christ. How do we do it? Here, here's my simple answer. We absorb God's word as much as possible. There are, are so many ways to consume Scripture. And I use that word consume because we should be ravenous towards the Bible. I don't know what that looks like for you, and I'm not telling you you need to read the Bible like 10 hours a day. I'm not saying that. But you need to find ways to make that the most important part of your day. Uh, since we moved here, I've tried to develop some new habits with reading. One of them, the first thing I do after I get up, I, I get some coffee, I go sit in a chair in my living room, and, and I 
I just start reading. I start off with Proverbs. I'm reading one proverb a day. That's how I start my day. I've read Proverbs 15 this morning. When I finish the month, I'm going to grab a different translation of the Bible and read it again. One, one, one a day. And at some point that morning or, or when I get to the office, I'll sit and I'll do my daily reading. Uh, my wife last year listened to the Bible. She got the, the version app and listened to it, the read the Bible in a year. And it was good for her because it was a different take on it. She was able to, to do it while she was working on something around the house or, or what it may be. Man, find some podcasts or find some sermons online. Just do what you can do to consume Scripture. I want to encourage you, too. We have a subscription to a service called Right Now Media. If you're not on that, if you don't use it, you need to. And it, it doesn't cost you a thing. If you want it, you're like, that sounds awesome. If you want it, on your connection card, put that you want it. And put your email address and put it in the boxes when you leave here. We'll reach out to you in a few days with an invitation for it. I use it all the time. It's, it's basically, if you don't know what it is, it's like Netflix for Bible studies. There's stuff for small groups, stuff for personal study, etc. Man, get involved in a small group. Ben talked about that earlier. Uh, we're gearing up to launch him here in about a month. You're going to hear a lot about him between now and then. So start thinking about being in community. In two weeks, we're starting a new sermon series called Together Again. And I know there's COVID still going on. I know there's the variants of it. I know there's misinformation. I get it. I get it. But folks, we weren't made to live alone. And we want to be responsible and careful, but we want to be together too. And so we're going to encourage you through this series, man. Everything that we do is, is, is together. Groups, serving, being here to worship together in person. I know some of you are still online and we love you and, and we're praying for you. But man, we want to be together because for me, I need that. I need community around me. Iron sharpens iron, and I can't do that if I'm sitting at home by myself. So get in the word, get in community, get with people, and let the word of God mold you. I love how the message translation paraphrases this verse. I'm going to wrap it up by reading this, because here's what Paul says through the, the words of Eugene Peterson. He says, summing it all up, friends. So I say all that to say this. <laughs> I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, and gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. I'm going to give you a little takeaway nugget, and this may seem so over-the-top obvious. But here's what I want you to do with this this week. I want you to make sure your thoughts are focused on Jesus. I don't know what your daily prayer routine looks like or your daily scripture uh, routine looks like, but I want to just give you an encouragement. When you sit down to start, would you take about a minute and not say a word, not get into reading yet, just sit and pause and give your mind time to calm down and let your mind start to focus on Jesus and ask him, God, help me focus on you. Help me focus on you. Because what we need in our lives, folks, we're called to make disciples. I can't make disciples of me. I don't want to make disciples of me. I want disciples of my creator and my savior. We're going to wrap up with a song here in just a moment. And as we do, I want to encourage you to look for the evidence of God in your life so that that can then be shown to everyone else. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. God, for the example that he is for us that, God, we can never become, but we can try our best to become every single day. 
God, as we learn more about you and read more about you and study more about you and hear more about you, God, I want that to be the main influence in my life and nothing else. That all the other voices would be quieted, would be silenced. All the chaos, all the noise, all the busyness, God, would just fade away because of you. God, and when those times come, I'm already thinking about you. I'm already focused on you. It's easier to stay there. God, I pray for every heart and mind and soul in this room today, all the hearts and minds and souls online today. God, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage them, protect them and guard them with your peace. We're so thankful for Jesus. We pray in his name.